What's an appropriate start to a retreat on being undistracted? But to, to be distracted, right, is, is to have your attention or your focus diverted. It's to have your attention or your focus shifted away from where it should be. And I think that the time that I'm most aware of this is there are occasions where I will pick up my phone to call my wife. And from the time I hit the green call button to the time that she answers, I'll have started to do something else in my office. And she answers the phone and she's like, hello. And I'm sitting there saying, hey, as though she called me and she has to remind me, no, 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 you called me. What do you need? And it's that I've gotten distracted. And so those are some of the most painful and awkward conversations that we have. And she can attest to that. And the reason is because I'm, I'm distracted, right? I've, I've forgot my focus. I've drifted from what my focus should be, which is the reason why I was calling her, whatever that is. We live in a, a world where there's distractions all around us, and we face distractions every single day. Speaking of which, this battery is flashing at me, telling me that it's, it's, it's got no battery left in it. Do you have a battery you can run up to me? And I'll keep going while you do. But honestly, I mean, if, if you think about the distractions, right, that are just on your phone, your calls, your texts, and I need two AAA batteries, which are like the, the devil's batteries, because people think, well, I've got AA, and I've got, like, people probably even have D batteries before they, and now my fingers are black from electrical tape. Distraction. This is the perfect opening illustration, and I didn't even plan it. This is totally a God thing. Satan thinks he's distracting, but he's not winning right now because this is serving to illustrate a point. But our phones, our email, our calls, our texts, our social media, right? Instagram. How distracting is Instagram? How distracting is TikTok? I don't even have that, but you can waste hours of time on those things, right? Games on our phones. We can waste time on that. I'm a sports nut, so fantasy baseball, which is the, like, I'm playing it this season, right? And I'm, I'm winning right now. But still, it's the dumbest thing. It doesn't matter. It's, it's pointless. And yet I can waste time and be distracted on it. Uh, TV and movies, right? We can waste time on Instagram. We can waste time uh, looking at, at, at different TV shows and, and watching things on YouTube. Uh, work can be a distraction at times for us. School can be a, a distraction. Our friends can be a distraction. Dating can be a distraction. Traffic can be a distraction. Birds can be a distraction. I mean, if we were meeting outside right now, don't even think that some of you wouldn't be looking up into the sky going, do they have bats here? I don't know if they've got bats here. I just, I'm worried that a bat is going to swoop down and kill me and be newsworthy because it's never happened before. But if it's going to happen to anybody, it's going to happen to me. And you've totally missed the last 30 seconds of what I've been saying because you're worried about bats now, right? Birds can be distracting to us. But think about now the things that those, all those things that I just listed, and there's so many more, right? But think about what they distract us from. How about how they distract us from our relationships? How your, your phone can distract you from your friendships or your dating relationship, or more importantly, your relationship with Jesus. How you can be distracted not just from relationships, but also how about Productivity from being a productive person because you're wasting hours and hours distracted by the entertainment that's on Netflix or entertainment that's on YouTube or TikTok. Or how about it can distract us from our, and this is what we're here to talk about this weekend, right? Our spiritual growth. That this world, in, in fact, that's the enemy's goal in this world. 
is to distract us, to divert our focus and our attention from what matters most when it comes to our spiritual growth, Bible reading, prayer, scripture memory, discipleship, accountability, evangelism, right? Those are all things that should be a part of our life. And yet we live in a world that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air, the son of darkness, right? Satan himself governs this world under the authority of God right now. And Satan's goal is to distract us from what the Lord wants us to be focused on. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, which I actually believe I have a slide for right there, yep. So it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It did not know Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet up comes back for us, because we shall see him as he is. But here's the line I want you to focus on. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, you may read that, you may have read that in the past and thought to yourself, well, that has to do with sexual purity, that you know, Jesus was a, a pure, moral, morally pure person. And that's part of it. But that's not the whole story. In fact, I want you to, to look at this quote here from this guy, Joel Beakey. He says this. He says, it means, this word purify in this verse, it means having undivided motives in our living and our service, being wholly dedicated to living to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what that word, he who purifies himself, right? To have, be wholly dedicated to living to glorify Jesus Christ. The way that Christians become known as sons of God is that they have a new goal for themselves and a new relationship toward themselves. By God's grace, they purify themselves even as Christ is pure. Y'all, this is the, the motivation for this weekend. That we would say, that's what I want for my life. I want an undivided devotion to the Lord. I want to be wholly sold out for Jesus. I want nothing to distract me from what Jesus wants from me. I want to be able to say that Jesus is Lord. And what do we say when Jesus is Lord? What do you mean by that? The word Lord is the word for master, owner, right? Can you say that right now? Can you say that Jesus is Lord of my life, that he owns my life, that I am his slave? And as his slave and as he is my Lord and my master, I want to know what he wants from me and what he wants from me. That is what I want to do and nothing else. Can you say that tonight? That's our goal. That's where we're going with this series. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 12, if you will. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So go to the New Testament, about halfway through your Bible, a little past halfway through your Bible. The first book of the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark, Luke, and John. And we're in Luke. So Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Let's start in verse 35. It says this. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them come and recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. 
But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's get some context for where we're at right now. All the way back in Luke chapter 9, right? So about three chapters prior to this, it says this in Luke 9, 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, that is Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so this is Jesus making his final march to the cross, okay? And and we're eavesdropping on Jesus teaching his disciples, his followers here. In Luke 11, verses 53 through 54, right before chapter 12, it says, As he, as Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something that he might say. So the scribes and the Pharisees are ratcheting up their pressure against Jesus. They're looking for an opportunity that they can find something about Jesus that's going to allow them to either disqualify him or, in their minds, better, charge him with something that's going to lead to his arrest and his ultimate death. And so Jesus, his face is set towards Jerusalem. He knows the cross is coming. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, they're ratcheting up the heat at this point in time in Jesus' life. And so they know that the cross is coming. It's in the near future. And this is Jesus. He's been introduced at his birth and at his his baptism. He's gone three years of his earthly ministry. He's preached his message of his life, so to speak. And now he's bringing his message, his sermon of his earthly ministry to a conclusion because he's getting ready for the cross and he's getting ready for the ascension. And that's where we find Luke 12. And so as we're here, it should add some more weight to it, shouldn't it? Because these are are not only just the words of Jesus, which even that alone, right? We should say, wow, that's enough for me to pay rapt attention to what he's talking about. But These are some of the final words of Jesus before he goes to the cross. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what was lying in wait. He knew what was happening. And so he's preparing his followers to know what his expectations are of them once he goes to the cross and then once he ascends back into heaven. A little bit more on the context. Look at Luke 12, verse 1. You're already in Luke 12, so just look at verse 1 real quick. It says this, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, here's what I want you to notice here. Luke 12, 1. When so many thousands, okay? Jesus was popular. Jesus was famous, So many thousands of people. He had thousands around him, thousands fascinated by him, thousands entertained by him. But what does Jesus do here? He begins to say to who? His disciples. Not the crowds, but his disciples. Jesus is differentiating between those that are there because of uh, being entertained by Jesus, being amused by Jesus, and those that are there because they're truly his followers. And that's who he's talking to. He's preaching to, he's teaching his followers. Again, guys, at this point in in time in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was on trend. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, we just read so many thousands. John chapter 6, verse 10, he feeds 5,000 in number. That's 5,000 men, by the way, so it's many more than that if you consider the wives and the children that were there too. But they're gathered together. Why are they there? Because they're they're there to hear his his teaching. In Mark 8, 20, he feeds 4,000. It's a different occurrence, different occasion. Again, thousands of people. Matthew 4.25, it says, great crowds followed him. Matthew 8.1, great crowds followed him. 
Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds. Matthew 13, 2, great crowds gathered all about him. Matthew 14, 13, when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. They're willing to follow. They're, they're, they're leaving their donkeys behind. They're going, hey, we need to go after Jesus. Matthew 15, 30, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled. They're going, hey, man, this guy's healing people. Let's get everybody and get there. Matthew 19, 2, large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Matthew 21, 9, and the crowds that went before him at the, and followed him were shouting, what? Hosanna to the son of David. This is the triumphal entry. The, the thousands of people are there to flock and to cheer and to worship Jesus and to, to, to ascribe th- this praise to Jesus, or at least on the surface, right? Matthew 21, 6, the, the Pharisees, they, they're saying there, they feared the crowds because they held him to be the prophet. Right? There's so many people gathered around Jesus. Matthew twenty two thirty three. when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. See, Jesus was on trend, but the problem with anything that's on trend is it can quickly become a, a fad. Do you guys know what a fad is? Here's the definition of a, of a fad. A fad is this, it's, it's a temporary fashion or notion or manner of conduct, especially one followed enthusiastically by a group. A fad. As I was thinking about this, I, I thought it would be helpful for you guys to, to get a picture of what some, some fads are, and maybe you'll recognize a few of these people, but here's, here's some fads. You guys may recognize one Luis Arce, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, that, the, the not of this world thick leather bracelet bands, Dude, those were on point at, at one time. Yeah. The, so you see, just wait. It gets better, okay? How about this one right here? Yeah. Dude, he's got the, the bro tank on, and he's rocking the aviators. That is a stone-cold look, Eric. That, I mean, this is impressive. That is, yeah. I mean, this is, this is trendy. Eric, you can always go to Eric for some, some fashion advice. He'll help you out. How about this next one there? <laughs> Hannah, is that a razor? By the way, is that a Motorola razor that you're talking on right there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's even got like a pink back battery case to it and the, the bedazzled glasses. That's awesome. And the cowboy boots, Amanda described the second picture as a mood is, is, the, is the outfit there, right? This is the one Danny sent me. And I... I don't even know, like, D- Danny, are you riding a dinosaur or a cat? Did you, f- did you do this? Did you Photoshop this? Did you cut yourself out? And then you like taped yourself to it. But you see, are those like LA lights or in the, the oversized striped shirt? So there's Danny. That's, that's Danny's fad. But how about you guys want to see Evie's fad, don't you? Yeah. Okay. But here's the deal. The star of these next pictures is not Evie. It's, it's Evie's mom. You ready for this? Wait for it. There she is. Do you see how fierce she looks on there? Like, so Evie, my guess is when you saw that look, you ran, right? Like, Yeah. That's the sandal, right? Like she's going to, and that happens. I talked to Pastor Rod about that. Yeah. And then the green eyeshadow too, which is, yeah, awesome. And you told me earlier that you went through an emo phase. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a fad, right? It was, it was something that was trendy for a little while. All right, well, he, this guy's not here either, but do you guys even know who this is? That's Cody Davidson there, folks. Yeah, that is, that is Cody Davidson. Which, I, any, have any of you guys, your parents watched this show, but Home Improvement growing up, anybody? Okay. So when I, when I was growing up, here's the deal, dude. Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the, the heartthrob of all the girls. And so when I, was, I had a JTT hater club because all the girls thought JTT was awesome. But, but this look right here, which the, the laser, it doesn't work. That is the JTT look right there. Cody had it going on. He was on point on that. So that's, that's Cody. That's Cody. Um, I don't. I don't have Kenya's up here, but here's, here's this looker right here. That's, that's my wife. Yep. That is my wife. And the mock turtleneck with the velour short sleeve look there. And then the jumper, the, the denim jumper. Yeah. That, that was a fat. But here you go, guys. Yeah, so, so here's the deal. Yeah, here's, here's the deal. Number one, that was a 91 Mercedes that the, the muffler fell off it when I was driving it. So it was, and I didn't know anything about cars and I said, can I drive without this? And the guy was like, yeah. So I threw it in my trunk and I drove home. But we'll talk about relationships a little bit tomorrow. But let me just tell you, this guy got rejected so many times, it's not even funny, okay? It's, it's just not. So, but I went through, and here's the deal. This was not on trend anywhere, except for my private Christian school that I went to. But the unbuttoned oversized plaid shirt was a look, and it's not anymore. We can all be thankful for that. But here's the, the last and final one before we move back into serious matters. And this is only because I love you that I'm willing to share this with you. But it's this one. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're like, what were you, like, this is my senior picture. Yeah. I, like, so many things, so many problems with this. The turtleneck, the feet, I mean, I, I, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know, so there's, there's that. So guys, see, this is why you come on retreat, because you get stuff like that. You don't get that back home, right? But here's the thing. Those, those are fads, right? They're, they're, they're here, and some people do them, and some people do other weird things, and, but it's, it's, a, it's here, and then it's gone, and that's the point with all of that, and that's why I'm, I'm driving that home for you guys. Jesus, guys, Jesus was a trend for so many people in first century Israel. And the thing is, Jesus is a trend or a fad for so many people even today in 21st century America. Jesus is something that, that we want to do because other people are doing it. But as soon as Jesus becomes inconvenient for me or as soon as what Jesus wants for, from me crosses what I want from me, well then I'm, I'm going to leave Jesus behind for something better. And that's the problem that I want to make sure that we are tackling head on and that we are addressing, guys. That when, when you say, hey, I want to follow Jesus, it's not like the thousands, right? Jesus turns to teach his disciples. Why? Because he knew 
that his disciples were the true followers and that everybody else was just entertained by Jesus. And I want to make sure tonight, guys, that you who are here are not here just because you're entertained by Jesus, but because you are true and genuine followers of Jesus. Our first point this weekend is this. Make sure that you're following Jesus the Lord, not Jesus the trend. Make sure that you're following Jesus the Lord and and not Jesus the trend. Trends come and trends go, right? You saw some of them, others from when I was growing up and when I was in high school, overalls with one strap down, right? You saw Cody with the bleached hair. I had frosted tips. Yeah. Chain wallets, those were a big thing. Everybody thought those were super cool. Track suits, like the things that go when you're walking, like people liked those and wore those on purpose. Oversized t-shirts were a huge thing. I mean, now you, you walk into to Hollister or Abercrombie and everything is, is schmediums on everybody, right? But, but back then it was the baggier the better on shirts and jeans and stuff. Starter jackets were the, these like cool, well, they were for a time, like sports pullovers, like one that had like the Cowboys or Angels on it or something like that. Butterfly clips, girls for your hair, platform shoes. I mean, these were, these were all trends that people jumped on and thought, yeah, this is awesome and this is great. And here's the thing. You're going to look back at pictures of yourselves from this time, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road and think, what in the world was I thinking doing that, right? Why? Because it's not going to be in anymore. It's not going to be trendy anymore. Nobody has conviction when it comes to their trends. In fact, very few people have conviction when it comes to anything about their style. Style changes. It comes and it goes. And so nobody is saying, man, I'm, I'm sold out for my mom jeans, because you know that in five years, mom jeans aren't going to be cool anymore. And the boot cuts are going to be back in. And you think, no way, that's never going to happen. That's what we thought about mom jeans, okay? That's why they're called mom jeans. <laughs> but y'all, here's the thing. When, it, when you read thousands of people were following Jesus. Okay, well, why didn't Jesus teach the thousands of people? Well, because so many people were following Jesus because Jesus was healing people and they wanted to be healed. Because Jesus was working miracles and and they wanted to see miracles. Because Jesus was an entertaining teacher and they wanted to be entertained and so they flocked to Jesus. But here's what we find. It says this in John 6, 26, 25 and 26. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here, right? So Jesus has has fed the 5,000 and then he left, right? Well, those that got fed were thinking to themselves, hey, we we need to go after that guy because he took care of us. And we're going to benefit if we're around Jesus. So they, they run around to the other side of the lake to get there before Jesus gets there. Jesus shows up and they're like, whoa, oh, that's weird seeing you here, Jesus. We just ran into you on the other side of the lake. And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. In other words, not because you believe, but why? Because you ate your fill of loaves. In other words, Jesus says, you don't want me, you want my benefits. You want my miracles. You, you want the, the cool things that I do. And that's why it says he began to teach his disciples first in Luke 12, 1. Not the thousands, just the disciples. Y'all, it's a gut check time this weekend to ask yourselves, why am I following Jesus? Am I following him or am I following a trend? Is Jesus my Lord or is Jesus a fad in my life that right now I'm willing to, to invest in because, hey, it, it benefits me? 
You know, there was another time in, in Jesus' ministry where there were many people that were flocking to him. And it says this in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But look at verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Y'all, would Jesus entrust himself to you? Because you can fool me, you can fool your small group leader, you can fool your parents, you can fool your friends, but you can't fool the Son of God. Right? He knows what's in a heart of man. He knows whether Jesus is your Lord or Jesus is your trend. And so as you're, you're asking yourself, okay, man, would Jesus entrust himself to me? Some other questions to ask yourself to diagnose that is, is, are these, do you want Jesus or do you just want the benefits of being around Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus and do what he says no matter the world's opinion of it or do you just want to follow him as long as that's what everybody else is doing? If tomorrow morning you woke up and found out that what we're doing right now is illegal, that you are breaking the law by being here and being a part of a church group and singing songs to Jesus, would you come out of your room in the morning or would you call mom and dad to come pick you up? Would you be here in the morning? If tomorrow you found out that it was illegal to carry a Bible and that the government had a way to tell if you've downloaded the Bible app on your phone, would you immediately delete the Bible app from your phone or would you leave it on? Guys, if you're following Jesus because Jesus is on trend, it's not going to take yourself, you long to find yourself in a situation where it's no longer popular and convenient and safe to follow Jesus. If your expectations of Jesus aren't rooted in what the Bible describes for us, then you're going to become disinterested in Jesus. And here's our word for the weekend, right? You're going to become distracted from Jesus, and you're going to look for a different kind of Savior that's going to meet the expectations that you have for him. Make sure you're following Jesus the Lord and not Jesus the trend. But Jesus turns to his followers and he begins to teach them. And he begins to teach them these parables. And the parable that we're looking at now in the rest of our time begins in verse 35. Look at this. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 35 begins there with this statement, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying to his disciples, remember, hey, look, I'm about to go to the cross and I'm about to ascend. They may not understand that, but Jesus knows that, right? And so Jesus is getting them ready. And he says this, I want you to stay ready. I want you to stay ready to keep your lamps burning. When he says stay ready, it's, it's the picture of a servant whose loins are girded, to, to use the weird way the Bible puts it sometimes. 
which just meant that the servant would take his robe that he would wear and he would wrap it around his waist and tuck it in so that he could be free to move around and the robe wasn't going to get in his way and he's ready to serve. That was the, the servant's dress. That was the slave's dress. They weren't sitting there in their long robes and their fancy clothes and thinking to themselves, well, let's just relax. No, they needed to be ready to do what the master needed them to do. So that's what he means there. Hey, I want you to, to be ready. And then he says, keep your lamps burning which would have been a sign of vigilance, watchfulness, that the lamp was ready. They were looking out. Even in the night watch, they, were, they had their lamps burning so that they could see to, to tell, okay, is the, is the master coming back? In fact, that phrase, keep your lamps burning, was a, a, a figure of speech in first century Israel. There's a, a hotel company called Red Roof Inn, and their slogan is, we'll keep the light on for you, right? It's that idea. Hey, we'll be ready for you. No matter what time you come back, we're going to be ready. This was the Red Roof Inn slogan of first century Israel. But again, Jesus was getting ready to leave them, and he knew that. And he wanted them to know, hey, look, I'm going, but I'm going to come back. And I want you to know what I want from you while I'm gone. And what I want from you while I'm gone is I want you to be ready for me to come back. That's why he says, they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. The, the wedding feast in first century Israel could have lasted up to a week, sometimes even two weeks at a time. So the master going away f- for this wedding feast, they didn't really know exactly when he was going to come back or how long he would be away, but they knew he would come back. And Jesus is saying the good servant is the servant that he's, Jesus is, the, the, the master's not going to be sitting out there knocking on the door, waiting for them to get themselves out of bed and come unlock the door. No, they're there. They're outside. They're at the gate. They're ready for Jesus' return. They're ready for the master's return so that as soon as he gets to the door, they're opening it up and welcoming him in saying, master, we've been expecting you. Jesus says, that's how we need to be. This theme is repeated multiple times in the scriptures, in the gospels. In Matthew 24, 42, Jesus says, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Stay awake. And then he says this, a little bit of a longer section in Mark chapter 13. He says, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home. So it's a similar story that Jesus is telling here. And he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Look at that on the screen there. Look at how many times. Right in verse 33, he says, stay awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, stay awake. Verse 37, stay awake. Y'all, Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples saying, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back and I want you to be ready for when I come back. The disciples were on the front side of that. Guys, we're on the back side of that. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back and the, the command to us is the same as it was for the disciples. We need to be ready for his return. And that requires this undivided devotion to the Lord, this undistracted pursuit of him to say of the sinful things in our lives, no, I don't want it because I need to be ready for Jesus to come back. I need to be doing what Jesus wants me to be doing. And if he comes back, I, 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 I want to be prepared. And, and, and y'all, here's the thing. When I think about my own walk with Jesus, one of the things that helps me so much in my own sanctification is asking this question, hey, with what I'm about to do, think, say, or believe, if Jesus were to come back right now in this moment, would I be comfortable doing what I'm doing? So sanctifying for us. At least it should be, because the reality is he could come back at any time. And that's what he was stressing with the disciples. 
Like you don't know when the master comes back, but you need to be ready. That's your job. It wasn't the, the slave's job to say, hey, are you going to text us on your way back or are we just kind of on our own on that? And the master said, I'm leaving. I'm going away. When I come back, is none of your business, but I want you to be ready when I come back. And that's what Jesus is telling us, guys. We need to be ready for when he comes back. And again, it's easy for you to say, well, I'm there. I'm ready. I'm ready for when Jesus comes back. And you can tell me that, and you can tell your small group leaders that, and you can tell one another that, you can tell yourself that. But at the end of the day, the one who knows whether you're ready or not is God. And he's not deceived. What does the scripture say? What does Paul write? God is not mocked. He's not mocked. Our second point tonight is this. Realize God knows if you're ready or not. Realize that God knows if you're ready or not. So those of you ladies out there who babysit, my guess is that your babysitting is different now that you walk into these houses that all have their, their cameras set up in every single room, isn't it? You chuckle. But yeah, you're not going to go just pull the fridge open and go, hi, I wonder what they have in their fridge and open up different drawers and not do anything nefarious, but just kind of poke around and say, oh, I wonder what type of people these are that I'm babysitting. You're not going to do that. Why? Because you know that they could drop in on the Nina cam at any point in time and find out, hey, what's going on at home? By the way, if you've babysat for me, my wife and I do not do that. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> but that whole idea, right? That, that idea of, okay, I need to be always doing my job. I need to be on guard because I, I don't know if I'm being watched or not. Well, here's the deal, guys. Psalm 139 tells us there's no question about it. We are being watched. Psalm 139, God, through David's pen, talks about the amazing level of intimacy that is the knowledge of God over you and I. And in Psalm 139, David even says, look, where can I run away from you, God? He says this in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I Take the wind, wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, look, the darkness is going to cover me and the night about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul. With your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Guys, Jesus knows you literally inside out. And so if you say, I'm ready for your return, Jesus, you might, again, Fool me, you might fool your small group leader, you might fool mom and dad, you might fool your best friend, you might fool your boyfriend or girlfriend. But guys, God knows the reality of that statement. He does. He knows who's ready and who's not. And I want you to make sure that you are ready for him to come back. Guys, here's the thing. I don't want this to beat you up. I want it to perk you up. I want this to serve as, as this, this wake-up call to say, okay, what do I need to do differently? I want you to resolve tonight to live different than you've been living. Or if you're saying, man, I, Pastor PJ, in the integrity of my heart, I feel like I'm ready for Jesus to return. Praise God. As Paul said, excel still more. Run harder after him. Turn your, your pockets inside out and say, okay, what do I, what do I have? What, Jesus, take, if there's anything sinful, right? What did David pray? God, if there's any sinful way in me, bring it to mind so that I can get rid of it. 
I, I mean, resolve tonight to say, I, I, I'm going to take every second to live like Jesus could come back right now because the reality is he could. I'm going to live differently. And here's the thing, y'all. If that's not you out there, if you're out there and you feel like, man, the, the barrels have been leveled at you and the sights have been set on you, number one, just know that it's not, it's not me with you in mind. It's God with you in mind. But if you're out there thinking to yourself, okay, man, I, I just, all right, I just need to try harder. It's not going to work. If you're out there saying to yourself, man, this is a willpower thing. I just need to just do better this time. I just need to be better. I just need to not do this. I just need to, to clean this up. I just need to, it may work for a, a time, but guys, it's, it's not going to last that true, genuine change that you want to see in your life, if you really do want that, it, it can't come through pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps. It can only come through you loving Jesus, through you being devoted to Jesus without distraction. And that is through a genuine relationship with him. That's through truly repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, saying, I'm done living for myself. I'm done living for my, my sinful desires. I'm done with the idols that I have in my life, be they financial idols or material idols or relationship idols. God, you can have it all. I'm going to walk away from it all. I'm going to turn everything out. It's yours, Jesus. I just want you. Nothing else. I just want you, Jesus. Just give me Jesus. That's all I want, right? Because that's where you have to be. The solution is not, well, I need to stop being in this situation with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or I need to stop looking at this online, or I need to stop wasting so much time uh, on social media, or I need to, to stop talking this way, or I need to stop doing this, or I need, maybe it's I need to start doing this. Guys, that's not the solution, Okay? So many of you have a, a, a gunshot wound and you're hemorrhaging from the gunshot wound and you're coming to church in need of somebody to, to, to rush you into the emergency room for emergency surgery to save your life and you're coming in going, no, but, but, but look, I've got a paper cut on my finger and I need you to take care of that first. Do you have a Band-Aid? See, if you're trying to just be more of a moral person and assuage your conscience by not looking at porn as much or not messing around with your boyfriend or girlfriend or not cussing as much, then really that's what you're doing. You're bleeding out and you're worried about a paper cut that you've got on your finger. The, the answer for your, your true problem is that you need Jesus, right? You need him to come in and save you. You need to be born again. You don't need to be a better version of yourself. You need to be a totally transformed version of yourself. You need to be born again. You need to be regenerated. And listen, we're here, guys, and we're here this weekend, and, and you're not around home, and you're not around your routines. And look, let's just say you're, you've left your reputations behind, okay? You're not such and such who went through Awana, or such and such who is the son or daughter of this person, or such and such who's been at Compass for this many years, or such and such who was baptized in high school, or such and such who got saved in revival. I don't care about any of that stuff, and nobody else here does either. I want you to be here undistracted, away from all that. And look, if you need to do business with Jesus Christ, do business with Jesus Christ this weekend. Most important thing that you could do. And if you don't, then nothing else that I say this weekend is going to matter to you. And the best thing about this weekend for you is simply going to be that you get to go and, and canoe in four feet of water and try to catch some fish with a mirror. <laughs> and dude, I love you. And I hope you catch some fish. But 
look, we want to catch fish for Jesus, not catch fish for a mirror. What does this look like, guys, to, to really follow Jesus this way? To be ready and to keep your lamp burning. If you're going, okay, pa- Pastor PJ, I'm, but I'm there. Okay, I'm there. I'm genuinely there. What should my life, what should I be doing? How should I, what should this look like? Well, let's find out what Jesus said. The first thing that Jesus said that we should do is, is we should follow him, right? Follow him. He says this in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, Okay. So guys, for you to be ready means I want to follow Jesus. Where Jesus leads, that's where I'm going. What Jesus wants of me, that's what I'm doing. John 10 says this, uh, 10.26 or 27, I can't remember which one, but it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So following him. Second thing is you got to worship him. If we're going to be ready, what, is, what does that look like? How do I, you worship him. Luke 18, 22 says this, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You remember this scenario, right? Who's he talking to here? He's talking to the, the rich young ruler. And really this isn't about money or possessions, is it? What's it about? It's about that this rich young ruler had something that he was worshiping that wasn't Jesus. And for him, it happened to be his money and his possessions. So Jesus puts his finger on that and says, I want that. For you, it may be reputation. For you, it may be a relationship. For you, it may be a career path that you have. For you, it may be a status. For you, it may be, for some of you guys in here, I mean, who knows? It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be sex. And if you were to go to Jesus, Jesus would put his finger on whatever that thing is and say, that's what I want from you. You have to leave that behind and come follow me. It's about being sold out in worship to, to Jesus and having nothing else that you're worshiping other than Jesus, right? So following Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And then finally, Luke 9, 23, we have to die to self and live for Jesus. Luke says, if anyone would come after me and, and, and follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross was what? It was an instrument of execution, So Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Great. Die to yourself daily and care about what I want, not what you want. You want to be ready? You need to follow him. You need to worship him. You need to die to yourself and live for him. So many have committed to be ready for Jesus. They've said, all right, Jesus, we'll be ready. And yet they've they've fallen away. They've bought into the lie that, hey, you know what? Jesus hasn't come back. What's to say he will come back? Jesus anticipated that. Grab your Bibles, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, that's to the right. It's on page 1556. Such a good one. You guys just roll your eyes because pastors are just... Go to the well. Sorry, 1558. But this is not new, right? I mean even during Peter's day, which is right on the heels of, of the, the ascension of Jesus. Peter writes this, 2 Peter 3, I want you to, to follow along in this text. 2 Peter 3, 4 through 13 says this, they will say, who's the, the they there? Well, it's the opponents of Jesus, right? They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is he, in other words? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But, Peter says this, they, these opponents, deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, that's the flood, right? That that God prepared the world and then judged the world through the flood. Verse seven, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up not for water, but for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow, Peter says. People are saying, where's Jesus? He's, okay, church, he's supposed to come back. Where is he? Peter says, look, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some would count slowness. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now look at Peter's conclusion. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So you see Peter saying, don't buy into the lie that he hasn't come back yet. He's not coming back. He's being patient because he's got his elect. He's got his number that are going to be saved. He's waiting for that day when the final person bows the knee to to Jesus's Lord. Be ready for him. Wait and be ready. Guys, it's imperative that we remain focused and undistracted on the reality that Jesus is going to return and wants you to be ready when he does. And he knows right now whether you're ready or not. So this is not about waiting until you get older and saying, well, I'll be ready when I'm older. No, this is about being ready right now. Being ready right now. When you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend, can you guys say that you're ready for Jesus to return when you're on your dates? When you're in the car, can you say, yeah, Jesus, come back right now. I'm I'm ready for you. When you're on the couch, can you say, yeah, Jesus, come back right now. I'm ready for you. When you guys have your phone, your tablet, your computer out, can you say, Jesus, come back right now. I'm ready for you. When you're with your friends who aren't Christians, can you say, okay, Jesus, come back right now. I'm ready for you. When you're making decisions about what you're going to watch, can you say, Jesus, come back right now. I'm I'm ready for you, Jesus. Jesus. When you're alone with your thoughts, can you say, Jesus, come back right now. I'm I'm ready for you, Jesus. When you're at work, can you say, Jesus, now. I'm ready, Jesus. Come back right now. When you're on social media, can you say, okay, Jesus, right now. Come back. Right now. I'm ready for you, Jesus. Guys, here's the thing. Do you guys know that, that God's aware of, of all of those things that you do that you would say, man, I'm not ready for him to come back right now because this is what I've been doing? Do you guys get that that's what Psalm 139 is saying when David says, surely the darkness will cover me? 
and night will be darkness to me and I can hide in the darkness and God's not going to know what I'm doing. God's not going to know what... He knows it all. He knows it all. And this is a frightening thought, even for us as, as believers in 1 John 2.28, it says this, and now little children, abide in him, remain in Jesus, so that when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Look, if you're a believer, do you still sin? Yes. But listen, it should be on your mind that if Jesus comes back, man, I want to run to Jesus in confidence, not shrink back from him in shame and go, oh man, you came back and I was doing this. Are you guys ready for Jesus to come back? Are you undistracted and undivided in devotion to Jesus saying, I want to follow you, Jesus, no matter the cost, so that at any moment in my life I can say, Jesus, I'm ready for you, come back. Are you ready or not? Because he is coming. Yes, this is where the rubber meets the road because the question here is, do you believe that he's going to come? I can preach this to you, but it's going to fall on deaf ears unless you truly believe that Jesus is going to come back. And if you say, yes, I believe that, what difference is it making in your life? Guys, there is a motivation, though, in this passage, and I want to touch on it briefly here at the end as we uh, land the plane. Uh, That's uh, the the motivation for us that's not about a fear of judgment, but but about the promise of reward. And I want us to, to hit on that. Because that's so important for us, and that's so important to keep us focused as well and undistracted. Look back in Luke chapter 12, verses 37 and 38. Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The word blessed there in the Greek, it means to have a favorable position in the eyes of God. Those servants that are ready for him, that are awake, that when he comes, they're opening the door saying, welcome back, master. We've been ready for you. We've been prepared. We haven't been asleep. We've been in that constant state of of readiness. And there's going to be a reward from Jesus for being a faithful servant. You guys understand that, right? If you've ever gotten a bonus from your boss or a perk from your boss or an attaboy or a kudos from your boss, it feels good. You're like, man, that's, that, that, that's a good thing to make sure that the boss is pleased with me, right? That, that's a, you find yourself thinking to yourself, man, this is good. I'd rather be there than the opposite, yes? And that's what Jesus is, is saying here, but it, it goes beyond this because look what he says there again in the text. Look, look again. Look at verse 37. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Guys, this is insane. In the parable, this is the master of the house coming back to find the servants doing their job, what they're supposed to do, right? Not going above and beyond, just doing their job. And because they're faithful at their job, the master rewards them and says, hey, I want you to lay down at my table. I want you to recline at my table. And the master girds himself and serves the servants. I, I, I watch the show occasionally, Undercover Boss. Have you guys ever seen that show? Dude, it gets me. Like, I cry at the end. I'm like, no way. She gets a college tuition paid for. That's amazing. She gets a Saturn. That's so awesome. Um, I can say that because I, I drove a Saturn after the, the car that you saw me in. Yeah. But, but it's, it's so much more than undercover boss because this is the undercover Lord of creation, not undercover anymore even. This is the Lord of creation. And his promise is, look, if you and I are faithful, he's going to reward us by 
honoring us in, in that regard and, and serving us. And you think, wow, that, how do I even wrap my mind around that? Well, we saw it even in John chapter 13 with the upper room, right, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Yes, that's, that's anticipating the cross, but you know what else that's anticipating? That's anticipating the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says this in Revelation 19.9, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are the true words of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb is the, the feast where the church is gathered, the bride of Christ is gathered together. And what we're reading here in Luke 12 is that Jesus is going to serve us at that feast. Not exalting us above himself, but this is simply a reward that you and I get to look forward to for our faithfulness to him. To have him love us that way and serve us that way, and it's going to cause us to praise, us, praise him and exalt him and glorify him. Our final point tonight is this, guys. Keep trusting that the future joys are better. If you want to stay undistracted and focused on Jesus, keep trusting that the future joys are better. I say this to my kids all the time. My wife does as well, right? It's somebody's birthday in the family, which we've got five kids, so that's like every day, right? And <laughs> five into 365, it's close every day. But there's the promise of cake that night. And as we go throughout the day, you know what our kids are, are asking? Hey, can I have some candy? Hey, can I have, can I have another snack? Can I have, a, can I have another granola bar? Can I have more fruit snacks? Can I have, can I, can I have, can I have, can I have, can I have, can I have? It just keeps going. It sounds a lot like that. And the thing that we always say back to them is this. Well, you can have that now or you can wait and you can have cake later. Oh, I want cake. And they check the fruit snacks across the house, right? <laughs> Because they're making the better choice. Or maybe some of you can relate to this a little bit more readily. You can go out and take the the 600 bucks that you've saved up and go buy a junker car right now. Or you can save up a little bit more and buy a car that you're actually going to be proud to take a boy or girl out in a little bit later on, right? You can delay your gratification and buy something better if you wait. Guys, Psalm 1611 says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God the Father is telling us that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Nothing on earth is going to measure up. Nothing here can say that it is the fullness of joy. Only the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There are future joys that are so much better than anything that sin can offer you. And again, this is another occasion where the rubber meets the road. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe that the joy that he offers us in eternity is better than what this world can provide? A few verses here, just as we we wrap up. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. It says, for I am already being poured out As a drink offering in the time of my departure has come, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That fixation that Paul had about to die, focused on the reward that he was going to receive, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Let me go one more. It's a Hebrews You guys know this one, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I want to be undistracted, right, as I run my race. 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus with our eyes undistracted, fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who now notice how Jesus is now our example. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We need to follow in our Savior's footsteps. He endured the cross with his eyes fixed on the joy that was set before him. And here's the awesome thing, guys. For you and I as Christians, part of the joy that was set before him was us. Was him winning us to himself. Is part of your joy set before you, Jesus? Being with him and being in his presence. Because as we talk about, as we think about being undistracted, it really is only going to come from this relationship with Jesus as I was talking about earlier. And let me just plead with you, look, if you're not there, do that first. Let me implore you to borrow the word that Paul uses, beg with you, plead with you. Be reconciled to Jesus before you do anything else tonight. Because nothing else matters. Nothing else can save you. Nothing else can turn your life around. Nothing else can give you the hope that you want. Nothing else can give you the meaning and purpose and significance that you want. Nothing else can fulfill that void. Nothing else can do it but Jesus. Yes, Nathan. Nothing else. And so let me just, again, with Paul, plead you, beg with you. Be reconciled to Jesus. To be saved doesn't cost you, but your salvation will cost you. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you relationships. It's going to cost you sinful pleasures. But if we'll believe him and his promises, we'll conclude that it's worth it. Ready or not, he is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, we're grateful, we're thankful for you, for your goodness to us. Lord, we're thankful that you are patient with us and that you are kind enough to even allow us to come here to focus this weekend on you and on the value of pursuing you without distraction and even the fact that we can physically get away from so many of the distractions that we face on a regular basis. God, I just pray that we would lean into that this weekend and not waste that, not let it go by the wayside, God. Lord, help us to lean into to, to these times in, in our small groups, in our discussion, in our worship of you, God, our, our time in our cabins, God, in our, in our rooms. I pray that our conversations would not just try to, to shift the focus to something else and, and get this behind us or get this out of mind, but I, I pray, God, that if this is a burn in the saddle, that you would make it the most uncomfortable weekend possible until that person bows the knee to Jesus, and then that you would make it the most joyful weekend. Lord, I, I pray that tonight during these discussions that resolutions would be made and that changes would be made and that people would decide what they need to leave behind to follow you with more focus and more distraction 
more passion, more devotion, God. Give us undivided affection, undivided devotion to you, we pray in Jesus' name.